If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be in the first four verses. Right after Jesus raised from the dead, the good shepherd found himself on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, cooking breakfast for one of his apostles. This narrative picks up in John 21, and this is what Jesus says to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs. He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said back, then tend to my sheep. He said for the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said for the third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The good shepherd, in an attempt uh, to restore Peter, which he did, ministered to Peter, shepherded Peter on those, store, uh, on those shorelines of the sea after Peter had denied him three times. And he had told Peter, go and feed shepherd ten to my lambs. And that is exactly what Peter is doing in this epistle here. He is feeding lambs that are under duress and who are struggling because they are ostracized because they bear the name of Jesus. And so this whole letter, Peter is writing to the church, but specifically in the back part of this letter, he hones in on the pastors of the churches throughout modern day Turkey. And he is encouraging the pastors on how to pastor. And it's like if this letter was being read in the congregation, uh, this specific section uh, has all the congregants then turn their eyes to those who are the ones responsible for shepherding the flock. So in one sense, it's uh, preaching a sermon to myself and to the other pastors but it's also very important for you to recognize what God has for the shepherds that he's provided in the congregation and for you to be aware of what good shepherding looks like. The main idea from this passage today is simply this. Elders shepherd God's flock and serve as examples amidst suffering, setting their hope in the chief shepherd who will return. To, to kind of set this up, we have to look at verse 1, and it connects to the passage we preached last week. By starting with the word so, or maybe in some of your translations, it's the word therefore, it's that word un, Peter directly connects what he preached last week, or what he said, or what we talked about last week. And if you remember in verse 17, Peter reminded the church that judgment will begin at the household of God, therefore, or so, I exalt the, ex, uh, exhort the elders among you. He's connecting that this suffering is coming to the church, and he wants the pastors to beware of this suffering. He, he, it's as if he's saying, hey, judgment is coming to purify the church. Elders, it's coming to you first, and you must be ready for it, and you must be attentive uh, with it, because the flock is, is at stake here. He's following the train of thought more than likely from Ezekiel chapter 9, where we see that the elders of the temple were the ones to receive 
the uh, judgment or the suffering first before it came to the whole congregation. And so it's directly connected to what we preached last week. And, and here we see Peter uh, setting up this uh, picture of what faithful shepherding looks like. And look how he does it in verse 1. He says, as a fellow elder and as, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, we could actually preach a whole sermon just on this one verse. We're not going to do that uh, today. But I want us to think about this. Peter, the great apostle, identifies himself here as a fellow pastor, a fellow elder. So before he explains what a faithful shepherd pastor looks like, he says, hey, I am one of you. Uh, notice that he's not playing the trump card here as an apostle. He, he, he's not talking about the time where he saw Jesus stop the seas with his hand. Uh, or the few minutes that he got to walk on water is one of the 12. He's not bragging at all here. He's simply saying that he too is a, an apostle. He knows the weight of responsibility that a shepherd has. It's actually a tremendous nod towards humility. And I hope we don't pass over the humility of Peter here in verse 1. He's seen many great things. And he's saying, hey, I'm a fellow shepherd too. Just like you. But he also goes on to say that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this also is an interesting statement for Peter to bring up, considering he's the one in Matthew chapter 16 that told Jesus, hey, we don't want you to go to the cross. We don't want you to suffer and raise from the dead. May that never happen, Peter said. Peter's also the one in Luke chapter 22 and in other places is recorded who denied Jesus three times as soon as it got really hot in suffering after Jesus was arrested. But here he is saying that I am a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so though Peter might have been absent from the crucifixion itself, we don't know. We know that he fled after he denied Jesus three times. We know that he watched Jesus suffer. We, we know that we, he saw Jesus rejected. He saw Jesus arrested. He know that Jesus was killed. He also knows that as a pastor and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that when you bear the name of Christ and you preach the gospel message, suffering comes with it. Peter has suffered for the name of Christ. And in fact, as is recorded in John chapter 21, he has not yet died for the name of Christ, as Jesus has predicted. So he knows his suffering's not even done. But he bears watching the sufferings of Christ, and he himself has witnessed these things. He's identifying with the pastors. He knows that this is hard. He knows that it comes with a price. But look what also he says. He's also a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He is joyful also. He has hope also. So he's suffered for the, for the name of Christ. He's seen Christ himself suffer, but there's glory that is going to take place as well. He is a partaker in the glory that will be revealed. More than likely, he's referring to the fact that he has seen Jesus in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, as is recorded in Luke chapter 9. He saw Christ suffer 
But then in this beautiful event on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses there, as well as Peter, James, and John, he saw the glory of Christ on display in his face. And he knows, I've seen it, and we're going to partake in it when he comes again. And what he's setting up here for these pastors that he's about to talk to is, I know that it's difficult to be a Christian in this life. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But I've also seen the glory. And it's coming. And it's going to be well worth it. And he's reminding the pastors that suffering comes first. This is the way of the Christian. Suffering and then glory. And Peter is both modeling that and he's exhorting the pastors to live this way. This is a necessity for us. And if you're a partaker in his glory, you must first be a partaker in his grace. And the great apostle is no different than the newest Christian who turns from their sin. We all must partake first in the grace of Christ that has been offered to us through Jesus. And those who partake in the grace of Christ will one day partake in the glory of Christ as he is coming. And this is how he sets up his exhortation to these elders here. And I think a, a good question that drives verses 2 and 3 for us is this. How do elders rightly lead the flock of God? So, so Peter's an example to us, and now he's about to give exhortation to these elders. And we're going to look at three things quickly here today. The first one is found in verse 1. Elders are to understand the call to shepherd, also in Verse 2, he said, uh, I exhort the elders among you, verse 1, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So elders is the word that is used here. That's the word presbyteros in the Greek. And it's the word that is mostly used in the New Testament to describe the office of those who oversee the spiritual condition of the sheep. It's the term elders, that's why we use it here. Uh, they, these are men who are expected to be faithful men, who, who love Christ, who are modeling the Christian life. We see the qualifications of these men in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. I would encourage you to go look at these later today, as well as Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. Uh, these are not extraordinary men, as is proof with the person in front of you. Um, <laughs> These are men who are simply called by God to shepherd the flock of God, and they're called elders in the New Testament. And notice what he says there. He says elders. That's plurality. Elders in the church. That's the New Testament pattern that we see in the Bible, that elders serve singular churches. We see this in Acts chapter 14. Elders, plural, are appointed to every church, singular. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We say the same thing in the church of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, verse 4. The same thing in Acts chapter 20, where there are many elders for the one church in Ephesus. Uh, we see that this uh, is the pattern when Paul gives instruction to Titus to set up elders in every church uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, this is the pattern. And that's important for us to understand because multiple pastors are to serve and care for and minister to the body that they oversee. In fact, the type of things that he's about to tell elders to do 
Uh, it requires a plurality because of our limited uh, strengths and gifts. We don't have the types of gifts that can fully recognize this, uh, fully live this ministry out. There's only a couple of times in Scripture that an elder is referred in the plural. That's when Peter uses it as a fellow elder himself here, and when John uses it the same way, or when a charge is brought to an elder in 1 Timothy 5. But when talking about the church in the New Testament, it's always referred to in the plural. Now, this is why we've made this move here at First Irving, because we see this as a biblical step. A philosophy of ministry that we want to be faithful to live out, not because it's our idea, because it's God's idea, and we want to live out the design that God has in his word. Now, look how he describes the call of the elders of the church. He says, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, there's two primary commands here given to overseers in the church. They are to shepherd, and they are to exercise oversight. Now, that verb there, shepherd, poimeno, is the term where pastor derives from. That's where we get the term pastor. In fact, pastor is only a noun one time in the scriptures. That's Ephesians chapter 4. The pastors are given to teach and equip the saints for the work of ministry. But we see here, elder is the primary title for the office of one who sits in ministers. But what he's saying here is that elders are called to shepherd. They're called to pastor. Now, this is kind of a hard uh, concept for us to understand. I'm not looking out on people uh, in the congregation who do a lot of shepherding on the weekends with actual sheep. So we don't really know through experience what this term means. But, but we need to, to think through what a shepherd does with his sheep, which we'll do here in just a moment. But this is the imagery that Peter wants these pastors, these elders to understand. You are shepherds of a flock. And what do shepherds of a flock do? They also exercise oversight. He's, he's talking about uh, uh, this, this idea of scoping out everyone in the fold and making sure that they are cared for and ministered to. That's what overseeing means. It's the, the Greek word is episkopos. It's where we get the word bishop or episcopal from. It means to scope, to be near, uh, to be intimately attached to those that you oversee. So elders are called to pastor and shepherd and exercise oversight of the souls. And these three terms, elder, pastor, overseer, are used interchangeably in the Bible. Both in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, in 1 Timothy 3, and then here as well. In fact, we don't see several lists for pastors for qualifications or elders or overseers, we simply see the same list for the same office. Peter refers to, or excuse me, Paul refers to overseers, uh, the office of overseer in 1 Timothy 3, and then he refers to them as elders in Titus chapter 1. So I want us to see that this is the same office that we've always called pastor, but here in the scriptures we see that it's Elder, and that's 
And that's really important because we want to use terms that the Bible uses. Uh, there's a great book out there about uh, the practical ways that pastors sh uh, are to shepherd or people are to care for people. And it goes through the eyes of an actual shepherd, someone who shepherds sheep uh, and recognizes that uh, sheep are really difficult to, to tend to on one hand and, and shepherds are really limited in their shepherding on the other. Uh, oftentimes sheep get diseases that you have to treat. There's broken hooves that you have to handle. Uh, there's labor pains for moms, and there's male sheep that get their heads stuck in barbed wire. And the shepherd is responsible for knowing the sheep, and caring for the sheep, tending to the needs of the sheep, making sure that the sheep are fed and cared for well. In fact, you can go and see real shepherds. They're still doing this job in most of the parts of the world uh, today. They don't do it in Dallas-Fort Worth per se, but there are places that you can see this. But, but what does it look like for spiritual shepherding of a flock to take place? Because that's really what's, what he's calling for here. And there's just a few practical ways uh, for us to think through it as elders. How do elders exercise this pastoring, this oversight well, one, as the passage says, we're called to be among you. We're called to be near you. We're called to know you, to know your stories and your brokenness and your heartache. Uh, we're called to love you. Uh, that's what he's saying. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. That's why we don't have ministries outside the church. Uh, we're called to care for you. And that's kind of the heart in which Peter is writing this letter, Hebrews 13, 17 says that actual leaders and overseers are going to give an account for the people that they shepherd. How were they nourished? How were they considered? Were they dealt with harshly or gently? We're also called to feed you and nourish you. This is the point of Ephesians 4, that we're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If the good shepherd, who is Jesus, said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, then good elders will listen to the words of the good shepherd and minister the word of God to the flock, knowing that there, that there is no other nourishment for the soul than the words that God speaks through his word. So we have a responsibility to be among you, and we have a responsibility to nourish you with the word. And that's going to happen from the pulpit to the parlor, as the old guy said. Uh, that means we'll come in the house, we'll sit at breakfast tables, we'll talk over coffee, but we are to minister the word of God to the congregation. We're also called to guard you. Um, in fact, that's what overseer means, is, is a guardian. We have a responsibility to protect you from false doctrines and uh, fierce wolves. And you guys, there's a lot of false doctrines out there today. False doctrines of self-helpism uh, self and moralism. Uh, gospels that make you do things so that you can enter the kingdom of God rather than in resting in the work of Christ fully and faithfully. We are to recognize these doctrines 
And we are to recognize false teachers who teach these doctrines. Sometimes these false teachers come from within, as is described in Acts chapter 20. And sometimes they are from without, distracting the fold from without. But as he's describing pastors in the, in the context of caring for a congregation who is in the middle of suffering, this is the work that these pastors are to do. And how do we guard and protect? Well, in Acts chapter 6, there's two primary ways. It's through the word and it's through prayer. If elders aren't praying for the congregation, ministering the word to the congregation, near the congregation so that we know what dangers are around the congregation, then the congregation is going to be left open to be destroyed by wolves that come from within or come from without. It's not a glorious job. It's actually a very difficult job. But this is the work that he is describing. We're called also to lead you in different ways. First Timothy 5 talks about we're to have the affairs of the church in order, to set things in order, to minister and to administrate and to steward the resources that God gives to us, uh, not for our own sake, but to be faithful. We must be men that fear the Lord. We must be men that uh, are willing to, yes, have conversations, but always are called to be objective in whatever conversation that we're in, thinking always about the sheep. These, these men must be men who fear the Lord and who love the people that he's purchased through the blood of his son. We must be objective, attentive, listening and caring, and knowledgeable of the word. We must lead you to the good shepherd. That's the work of the pastor. Never away from the good shepherd. And never to ourselves, but always the good shepherd. And the reality is this role is not meant for lazy men. Uh, this role is not meant for men who are cowards. Uh, men who are afraid to stand uh, in front of wolves. Uh, this role is, is, is meant for men who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the sheep. Not in an intoning way, Christ did that, but because they follow the one who died for them. Uh, this role is, is meant for men. This role, as the scriptures say, is, is actually not meant for women because if the work is as difficult as we have described in the scriptures to actually shepherd and to actually oversee then it would not be good for a man to push a woman in the way to do the work of shepherding if, if he's unwilling to do it himself. Uh, he doesn't push a woman in the way of wolves, but he stands in front of her to take that and to care for the flock. This is what Adam did not do in the garden. Did Adam not just say, it's the wife you gave me, it's her fault? That's not shepherding. Shepherding is standing in front saying, I failed to do my job. I didn't minister the word. I should have done a more faithful work. Now, the second thing elders are to do are, uh, in, as they're being exhorted is to display godly dispositions. Now, look what Peter says. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Peter shares three ways that display the heart of the true shepherd. And then he provides a negative for each of those ways. So kind of a positive and a negative. We're going to kind of go through these quickly. But elders are to shepherd willingly, not under compulsion, but willingly. And look what it says there in the text, as God would have you. Uh, So notice, what is the opposite of willingly? Well, it's out of compulsion or obligation or uh, distress or being forced to. No, he's saying that pastors should want to do this work in a willful way, and they should do it in a way that matches the way that God would have them do it. So uh, that, that's how he's describing it. Some men are drafted for war. Others volunteer for war. Pastors, in this case, are to volunteer for this post. First Peter, or excuse me, First Timothy 3 talks about there should be an aspiration for this office, to do this hard work of pastoring, shepherding, and oversight. Listen to the heart of Paul when he describes the heart of a shepherd. He says, my dear children... From whom I am again in the, ch- in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He, he's saying, as he ministers to the church in Galatia, he's saying that he has pain, like childbirth pain, until Christ is formed in the congregation. He's not settling with a confession. He's not settling with a faithful history. He is in pain In his ministry, until Christ is formed into maturity in these believers, that is a willful, eager ministry that he is describing. Beloved, if elders are unwilling to suffer or to sacrifice for the sake of the sheep, those elders will immediately be put in danger of hardships. They are going to get tossed to and fro in this ministry uh, quite quickly. So, so how many of you men out there are, 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 are willing or at least interested serving on the front lines? Is there an aspiration in you? Is there a willingness in you to do the work that is talked about here? I, I, I would encourage you to ask yourself the question. It's okay if you never serve in the office. But these are godly traits that are being expressed here in the scriptures that we would hope would apply to everyone. Elders shepherd eagerly, and they do it not for shameful gain. Look there in the text. Eagerly means to be sober-minded, always aware of the job, always objective. To be eager conveys a heart that is ready and willing to give and to serve, ready to do this work. Elders must, must be motivated by their zeal and love for Christ. If Christ isn't their chief shepherd, if they're not enjoying the gospel, if they're not walking in the grace of God, then this is a miserable place to be. But there should be an, a, a, an eagerness to do uh, this work. And look at the warning to the shepherds. You don't do this for shameful gain. This is the, pa- this is the warning in Titus chapter 1 that there were pastors that had risen up in the church that were corrupting households by their teaching, and it says for shameful gain. There's a warning to be received there. We also see this in Ezekiel 34. Listen to these false shepherds who are looking to make money off the sheep. 
Thus says the Lord God, Ezekiel 34, verse 2, O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on an every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to seek for them. And it talks later how they were opened up to wild beasts. Shepherds are to do this with a heart that is willing and eager to care for the fold. Not looking for a kickback. A heart that wants something is not a heart that's willing to be reviled or reproached for the name of Christ. And so those two things don't align. Now, he's not saying that a pastor can't make a living off this. It talks about this in 1 Timothy 5. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Money is a provision for ministry, no doubt. But it is not the motivation for ministry. And when money is the motivation for ministry, you can see it quickly because there's not a care for the fold of God that is in front of them. And so I pray, pastors, brothers, I pray that we would be like Paul, who simply says, woe to me, I am in danger if I do not preach the gospel. That is the motivation of ministry and nothing else. And we must guard ourselves with this. I recognize that there's a, and kind of the third thing we'll look at real quick is elders are, are called to shepherd the flock and to be examples to the flock. We're called to be examples to you, not domineering over those in your charge or in our charge, but we're called to be examples. That little phrase, in your charge, it means in your portion. Uh, essentially, here's what it's saying. I'm going to summarize this very quickly. It means that pastors are allotted to a congregation and a congregation is allotted to its pastors. Uh, we are called to be together. And we are to be examples to the flock and not to rule in a domineering fashion over you. And I know there is a real skepticism uh, regarding church leadership in our country. And a lot of that has been brought on by poor leadership and poor decisions by pastors. I, I'm sure some of you in this congregation have been hurt by pastors uh, in, in the past. Uh, and there's probably a variety of ways that you have. But we don't want to throw out the office because of poor examples. We want to be faithful as much as we possibly can in the strength of the Lord to the office that God has called us to. One pastor, Phil Newton, real faithful pastor in Tennessee, says, no one denies that egotistical despots exist in church ranks today. He's talking about pastors. Yet we must never abandon biblical direction because of poor examples. So we are to be examples to the flock. And what he's saying here is we are to be examples to you on how to suffer. We're to be examples of you of how not to revile in return. We're called to be examples to you on how to love earnestly. And I promise you, and I'm speaking for the other brothers that hold this uh, office right now, that is a heavy responsibility. 
Because practically speaking, that says you should be able to look at my marriage with Lauren and you should see how I treat my wife and it should be an example to you. Not, not a perfect example. I'm going to, goodness am I going to fail. Ask her. But there should be an over, uh, the overarching faithfulness in our marriage or how we discipline our children or how we walk through suffering or how we treat people that don't agree with us or who would revile us. There should be an example there for any of the pastors in the congregation. You should look and say, that's how you do it. Now, that's what Peter is saying here, and it feels very uh, difficult uh, and it feels very heavy, but it is what he is saying because ultimately if we are doing this rightly, it serves as an example to you of what faithfulness looks like. And it's meant to encourage you, especially in times of suffering. And can you imagine him giving instruction here to not be domineering over this congregation that's suffering? He it's like they're, they're being reviled for the name of Christ. And he says, do not dominate them. Do not be harsh with them. Do not suffocate them. Do not be inconsiderate with them. But he's saying to love them, to care for them, to serve as, a, as an example for them. And, and so that's what we're called to do. And I, I echo what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 when he says, he's talking about leaders in the church. He's like, who's sufficient for these things? It's only by the grace of God, the strength of God, the power of God, we're, a, we're ever able to do this well at all. And we see in Acts chapter 20, it's thanks be to God because he's the one who provides the spirit. He's the one who sets elders apart, and he's the one who gives strength to elders to elder properly, to shepherd faithfully. And so elders must shepherd and suffer and serve the congregation. Not, not, not to rule you or lord over you or demand much of you or to steal from you. Or to usher you, the, uh, usher you to the great things of Christ and not to steal from the purse of Christ. Now look what he ultimately says here, kind of towards the closing of this. Peter is driving all of this truth back to Christ, back to the truth, the true shepherd, the chief shepherd. And that's our third point today. Elders look to Christ and his return. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he starts in verse 1 with the, sh the suffering shepherd, and he works all the way to the chief shepherd who's going to return in glory. That's where the elders are to look, is the chief shepherd. As I've mentioned, your elders in this church are sinful men, imperfect men. We are not able to handle our lives fully well. We have desires in our heart that must be crucified every day. And we must repent of our sin when we aren't crucifying our flesh. But beloved, there is a chief shepherd here in the text that Peter resets our eyes on. And the eyes of the elders are always to be on this chief shepherd. Chief shepherd in the Greek, it's the word archpoimen, or senior pastor, or chief pastor. That's what it says right here. So there's so much encouragement in my heart knowing that we might fail, we might make bad decisions, we're not going to shepherd perfectly, 
But there is a chief shepherd, a senior pastor whose name is Jesus and beloved, he loves you perfectly. He serves you without bounds. He cares for you without limit. He cares for you in a way that will never fail. He was exiled from his throne and he came to earth and he died for his fold. And those who believe in him will never perish but have eternal life. He, he has redeemed us. He went behind enemy lines. He knows us by name and he calls us to him. And those that belong to him will hear the shepherd's voice in John 10 and we will come to him and we will be saved. Elders are never to forget to point the people to the chief shepherd. And if our eyes are on him and on his return, we will do our job well. But he is the senior pastor of this church. He is the chief shepherd who cares for his people. And that's the example that Jesus is giving us right here. Is it not? Is, is Jesus not the one who is willing to shepherd? He, he, he laid down his life for the sheep, John 10. He has the power to lay it down and he has the power to raise it up again. And this command was from the Father. Was he not eager to do this work? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew that he was going to have to suffer, but glory was on the other side of that. Jesus is the perfect example for us as well, has he not? Do you not just scrub our dirty feet in John 13? Do you not teach us what it looks like to have meals with sinners and prostitutes and Gentiles? But he's not also the one who showed us the value and the interest of other people. Do not consider yourself more highly than you ought. Philippians chapter 2. Is he not the one who came, the true shepherd of Israel, to gather his sheep to himself? We look to Christ to learn how to shepherd. We are to consider Christ in this church as the true chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd, he's the suffering shepherd, and he is the chief shepherd who's going to come again. And shepherds who do this well, they do receive a reward. And Peter reminds them that when the chief shepherd comes, they will receive the unfading crown of glory. This should always be on the mind of the people. You're going to be faithful today. You've got to be, think about the day that Jesus is coming back. And he's probably here referring to the amaranth flower given to those who compete in a race and who run faithfully and finish the race. It's contrasted against the flower that fades quickly. In fact, it, it fits with the language he's already used in chapter 1, verse 24. That the word of the Lord never withers and it never flayed, uh, fades like the, like the grass and the flower does. He's talking about eternal glory that's only found in Christ. Does a pastor earn this reward? No. We're to never think about our work as being worthy of any sort of reward. But the reward is Christ himself. And this is his work that we think about. That's what helps us complete. He is the one uh, who, who, who atoned us. He's the one who raised from the dead. He's the one that ascended on high. He's the one who serves as the high priest of heaven. And he's the one who's coming again to be the shepherd of his flock for all time. The glory of God is the aim here. 
the unfading crown of glory. And this is displayed in the church when shepherds see Christ as the treasure. Oh, that we would see Christ as the treasure. This should be our motive. This should be our duty every day is to love you, to speak the truth and love to you, to lead you to places that you might not want to go. But if the word of God says it, let's go in faith. Let's go in faith trusting that he loves us more than we could possibly love ourselves. And we see, even in, even in this glorious letter, what, what Peter has already said in verse 25 of chapter uh, 2. For we were all straying like sheep, limited, unable to do anything at all, but now have been returned to the, ch- uh, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And this is Jesus He is the one who cares for us. It's so good to know because you're going to see us not be able to get to every hospital visit. You're going to see us fail in certain things that we do or organizations that, uh, organizational mistakes or whatever it is. But there is one who is in perfect order, who is with you in every second of every day, who as Kyle said earlier, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. The chief shepherd cannot leave the sheep. And though we don't see him with sight yet, we do trust in him by faith. And we wait for the day, like it's talking about here, when he will come back and our faith will be turned into sight. And we will see the glorious shepherd in all of his truth and his love and his care for us. And he will gather us to himself and he will reign on David's throne forever. He's a, better, he's a better king than David. He's a better shepherd king than David. He's a better uh, deliverer than Moses. He, he, he is the shepherd of his people for all time. And this passage is pointing to such truth. The good shepherd says that he lays down his life for the sheep. And listen to this in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's what Jesus says about you, church. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father are one. He's a shepherd who cares for his flock, and we cannot be snatched out no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what hurt is going on in your life, no matter what misgivings you've had with the church, no matter what your personal life and how it might be unfolding right now. The chief shepherd is going to care for you. And in order for us to be good shepherds, faithful shepherds, we must remind you of the good shepherd who loves his people. In closing, just a couple of very quick things. Will you pray for us? Will you pray for Bill Leidner, Wayne Watkins, Moises Gomez, Justin Flores, Kurt Bost, and myself, Blair Robinson? For the benefit of your own soul, Paul gives the instruction to Timothy to guard your life and your doctrine, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And that is our responsibility. Would you pray for us to do that well? Not as extraordinary men, ordinary men with the extraordinary means of grace.
Please pray for us. Would you pray for and intentionally evaluate the brothers who are currently looking at this office, who we, church, are currently looking at for this office? That is Tayo Adekunle, Julio Del Carpio, Ricky Frick, and Corey Zimmerman. Would you see if these are men that fit the description of 1 Peter 5? This is not a rubber stamp process. We want to test all things through the scriptures. See if these men are men who care about your life and who minister the word and who are near you and who care for you. We're going to be walking through this process over the next seven and a half weeks, eight weeks. And so this is a perfect time for this passage to, in the sovereignty of God, pop up. Um, would you encourage us in this endeavor? And, and that includes for us to do it faithfully, and that means to be bold and tell us when we're not doing it well. We need to know when we are failing you or if there's uh, certain things that we don't see very well. Um, we don't have eyes in the back of our head. This is where a plurality is beneficial. We have accountability and wisdom that's provided in plurality, but we still don't see it all. So please um, encourage us in this endeavor. Uh, will you observe our way of living? If you find us faithful, would you be encouraged? Would you be encouraged to walk that out? That's not a self-serving thing. Uh, that is um, a biblical thing that we want to be faithful in and we want to encourage you in since Peter encourages the same. And then would you also let us know if any of you have that internal aspiration or that desire to do the work that we have described in the scriptures today? Let us know. There's an internal aspiration and there's an external affirmation and a testing period in between. But we want to know if this is you. And even if you don't, would you apply some of these things to your own household or to your own life or to your own friendships or to this church so you can serve for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have cared for us in a specific way by providing the chief shepherd. Oh, Lord, would you send him back to gather his people quickly? And God, in the meantime, would you allow us to faithfully shepherd the church? This is not our flock. This is Christ's flock. We spilt no blood for her. Christ spilt blood for her. And so, God, would we prepare the flock to see the bridegroom, the bride to see her husband? God, we need your help in this. God, would your word become alive? Would it penetrate our hearts? Would you, would you help us to become healthy, good, faithful shepherds, even in the midst of persecution and suffering, caring for the church, even in hard days? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.